Uh, I'm Connor, and today we have with us Mr. John Forker, who is the Chief Information Security Officer for the University of Maine System. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for letting me participate in this. So before we get into the questions, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, please? So I am um, the Chief Information Security Officer for the University of Maine System, and I've been in IT my entire career. I've been in this position for um, about 11 and a half years. Um, so I, I have seen a lot in, in the security world, um, both before I was in this position, but, but certainly since I've been in this position. What were you uh, some of the most important aspects of uh, your education that you believe led you to who you are today? Well, I think I think that experience becomes, you know, such an important part, but education provides the catalyst for making the most out of experiences that you have. I mean, I think that developing critical thinking skills is so important. Grounding your your experiences with education becomes important. Years after I graduated, I I went back for a master's degree and and I surrounded myself back in the academic discipline to to ground what I was doing um, with that, as well as getting the variety of experiences that I could learn from my classmates. So I think education is foundational and experiences are what molds us. So to tie into that, um, you talked about your experience and I'd kind of like to highlight um, one aspect of your experience. So you, you kind of transitioned out of the Air Force and to the University of Maine system. So what was that transition like going from the uh, Air Force to kind of more of a civilian role within the UMS system? It was eye-opening. Um, the structures and decision-making processes are very different between the, the Air Force and the university. Um, however, I did, you know, they're both public service, and I found that um, in, in both institutions, people have a pride that is, is very similar. So I know you mentioned the um, structure of the Air Force. So I assume that is very different from how the University of Maine system is also structured. So how was it or how are the two um, very are they very different from each other or are there some similarities and some differences between the University of Maine system and the Air Force? I mean certainly certainly you know as I mentioned you know the, the leadership and, and working with the people for you and, and with you and, 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 and the people you work for um, is, is really all the same. I mean management and leadership is, is very similar. Um, funding is probably one of the biggest differences. You know, the, the Air Force has got a structure to, to build in funding um, for IT and security um, different than the education system has. That's really awesome to hear. Um, I'd like to know a little bit more about higher degree uh, in business administration. Uh, Might have helped you become the chief information uh, security officer here. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, you know, I kind of took a, a different path than a lot of people will. I mean, I think that, you know, computer science or, or computer information technologies and cybersecurity degrees that are offered now are, are really probably the, the strongest course of action to go for, for people, you know, pursuing a career in, in cybersecurity. Um, but, I, but I don't regret what I did. I, the foundations, you know, business administration, marketing and management and accounting are all needed. Um, understanding the needs of institutional goals and aligning those goals are, have been invaluable. Um, and in cybersecurity, we have a tendency to want to build the most secure systems. You know, and, and what, if you look back at the mission of the organization, 
you know, for us, students want security, but they gravitate toward the best affordable education, not necessarily always the most secure of institutions. So we have to manage the risk, and that's so important. I know you mentioned your experience within the military. How has that experience helped you in a, your professional career outside the military? In cybersecurity, we look at people, process, and technology. So let me address that in each of those different areas. For people, um, you know, it was ingrained to me in the Air Force that as officers, we were not technicians. You know, we relied on the, and empowered our, our technicians to do the job. So that's really helped me empower the people that work for me. Um, the, the second is process, you know, besides the structure, the rules, um, you know, in the Air Force are very clear. So, you know, the pure size of the military with hundreds of thousands of people in each service um, and the longevity has enabled each of those processes to reach, or reach a high level of maturity. You know, so that's helped me in developing policies and practices that look um, for ways to improve organizational maturity, um, setting goal setting um, and continuous improvement skills, you know, are things that I learned in the, in the military as well. And then as far as technology goes, as a, you know, as a communications computer officer, I dealt with security protections and, you know, managed cryptographic offices and, and, and those sorts of things. So I, so I got the technology background as well as some of those other things. So I, I think it, it prepared me well. Um, you know, I, I certainly think it's a, it's a great place for people to, to learn things fast. Nice. So, I mean, I think you've already touched on this a little bit, you know, with your answer to the previous question, but um, what does your role in the University of Maine system look like as a, as a CISO? And uh, what responsibilities do you have for someone who might not be cognizant of what a CISO is, is responsible for in the organization? Yeah, well, I lead the cybersecurity effort and I'm, I'm the face of information security for the organization. You know, I provide oversight on how um, we engage people, process and technology to meet cybersecurity needs. You know, identify, protect, defend, um, or excuse me, identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. Um, you know, it's you know, I I see that we have the most you know effective and efficient balance to provide defense in depth. Um, and if you go back to the CIA triad, you know, my my office conf- concentrates most on the confidentiality and the integrity. You know, we find that availability is constantly on the minds of customers and IT practitioners, you know, so we aim to boost the other two legs of the triad. Um, And then another part is is privacy. You know, even though privacy and security are separate, privacy is a big consideration in my role. So as a cybersecurity professional, how do you educate end users in the university main system, whether that be students, faculty and staff? We look at annual training, periodic notices to people. We do some phishing tests. Um, training is certainly one of the most important aspects that, that we find we need to do. Uh, you know, a lot of education comes in outside of the formal training. You know, the, you know, every contact that you make with somebody in the university is an opportunity to convey a message. And, and we use that, you know, take that to heart among all of our team. Nice. So we talked a little bit about the uh, security education training and awareness for, you know, the students and, and other users at the USM system. So what would you say are probably some of the biggest cybersecurity threats that, you know, USM or the University of Maine system faces or has faced in the past? Okay, this is a big topic. You know, there are many facets to threats, you know, and, and if you look at threats, um, you know, 
in a pure sense, you know, it's an, you know, they're acts to damage or steal data or disruption. Then if we look at that, you know, we're like any other organization. There's viruses, there's data breaches, and there's denial of service. You know, if you get right, right down to the core. But it's important to understand your data and activities and then help determine who are the threat ap- actors, what are their objectives, as well as the means that they use to to commit those acts. So we look around um, the world and, and especially in, in government and in higher education, nation states are actors that are big threat actors. For us, they're looking you know, for research data. They're looking for information for ma- research and manufacturing to foster their own growth and, and meet their own economic goals. Um, but also they're supporting cyber crimes you know, for disruption or monetary gain. Or whatever that might be, you know. To, you know, in in current, you know, warfare, we we look at, you know, what might be gone, but what might be happening to, to gain financial gain for one organization to, to attack another. So then there's there's cyber criminals, you know, and cyber criminals are are out to, to steal data so that they can monetize it, you know. For example, you know, identity theft or, or health fraud. Or they're looking for means to exploit data, like ransomware, or they're looking for access to direct funds. That's scam or credential harvesting to find credentials that can be reused and then try those credentials at every other site, such as, you know, financial institutions. So, so you know, all different layers. Um, and then, um, you know, you look at how it can be deployed. I mean, phishing is probably the most prevalent that we see, um, but exploitation of, of software vulnerabilities, vulnerabilities and other um, malware implants are, are also something that, that we see. So, you know, our most concerning, you know, if you sum it up, our most concerning threat, you know, uh, would be something that would end up in the exfiltration of data. The most common or scams against employees. Thank you for that. Um, now that you mentioned uh, ransomware and, and threats on cybersecurity, um, what are the some solution or advice that you give to someone looking to uh, become a more secure cyber or, or become more cyber secure in general? I think first and foremost, verify all unsolicited requests. You know, always go to a trusted source so that you know um, where something came from. Um, and then the other thing is to use strong, unique passwords for each account. Following that, I would say soft, keep your software up to date um, and then watch what, what you post on social media. Oftentimes, social media draws out questions like what, you know, things that might relate to your your security questions. You know, what was your first automobile and things like that. They, those tend to be questions that are asked on social media that actually sort of relate to common security questions that, that people ask. Awesome. That makes sense. Again, we totally do see a lot of that occurring to where people will kind of probe you for your information so that they can ch- you know, change your security questions or challenge them and provide answers based on how you respond with. Um, so this is kind of a little bit off, off topic, but what does your average day look like for a, for a CISO? I would say the fun thing about cybersecurity is every day is different. You know, I spend a lot of time, you know, with internal and external reviews um, and mitigation actions. 
um, consulting, you know, if we look at the services that we provide, if we label them as services internally to the organization, consulting is our biggest internal service. And that's working with customers to, you know, get them to employ the right level of security that they need. I work with the analysts in my departments who, who they deal firsthand with the, the incidents that are coming through, but, you know, anything that's discovered to be a data breach, you know, that can change my day quickly. So I know that you mentioned that every day is different. So because cybersecurity is changing every day, how has your position evolved since you started as a CISO? I was the first CISO for, for the University of Maine system. You know, so we were, you know, in a discovery mode. We were looking at, you know, establishing, you know, policies and, and key technical controls. And then, and then we, we look to say, okay, how do we mature our organization? How can we um, get further ahead? And what we found there is we can't mature our organization faster than the organization matures. So it's really a matter of working with IT and, you know, business units to make sure that they, you know, mature their documented processes and, and, you know, get to the point where they're, they're measuring what they're doing and, and those sorts of things. So, so it, you know, part of it, you know, in my role has been growing it to a, to a higher level, um, you know, sort of formed at the beginning of the question, when you look at, you know, how the world is changing, I think, you know, what we, it's kind of worked with us in concert in the sense that we are in, in informing or making people aware of what's going on and now we're able to say, okay, now that you've got that foundational base that you can't trust folks and there's phishing going on left and right, and that now look at the sophistication of what's happening. Um, so, you know, from, from the end user point of view, we have a lot of that. From the um, um, organizational point of view, and, you know, down to our, our controls, we look at, you know, the, the world is getting more technical around us. And so, um, you know, they're, they're sophisticated in the way the attacks grow. So we need to become more sophisticated in the way we defend. And so, so we've, you know, taken a stronger measure that way. That's, that's cool to hear. Um, I would like to ask, uh, what is some general advice you might give to somebody, um, uh, that might be interested in working in the cybersecurity field? Um, you know, uh, what, what's, what's some advice that you would give somebody, uh, like a student here at USM? or someone maybe switching fields? Yeah, learn as much as you can about about cybersecurity. You know, just, you know, immerse yourself, um, you know, make it your passion if it, if it isn't. If it's not your passion, maybe it's not the right right career for you, but 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 really get involved that way. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of things to read, but besides, besides, you know, the reading, you know, get a, get a good internship, get some experience. Um, if you don't have an internship, talk to people that are in the field, understand what they're doing, uh, practice in sandboxes, you know, and, and there's really no excuse for that. If you don't have a sandbox to, to practice and build one, and if, you know, and if you, and if you can't build one, then again, maybe it's not really the, the right career for you. Um, thank you for that advice. Um, I know um, that we talked, uh, you talked about um, how, uh, things have changed over the years after chief uh, information technology and um what do you think of the future of cybersecurity as a whole like what what do you expect it would look like in uh, 
the in the next five to ten years in the simplest forms you know we we, we I, I kind of equated to to the military when you have the the cat and mouse games and, and that you know we we have the the attack and defend and i think that kind of nature is still going to continue on but the attackers as i mentioned are getting more sophisticated um you know so that means we need to 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 step up our game as well um but but we've also seen that within the federal government and the state that a lot more mandated security is coming down the pike you know that's that's really um a good thing for us in a way because it it sort of makes it not not an organizational volition to to have security but instead a, a you know a cultural um difference that you can make um you know most compliance programs have more emphasis on on privacy than than security uh, but we see that's changing we see that there is you know more requirement for having controls and and that level the levels of controls are becoming um you know more more um rigid i would say so you know so you know but but then again as we step up our game so will the attackers you know so so in that sense um you know it's it's evolved to become much more technical than it has and you just touched on this uh, a little bit in answering that but I would like to hear a little more about like some of the biggest challenges um, that the cybersecurity industry uh, faces um, and maybe what uh, upcoming um, students or workers should be concerned about. Um, if, <laughs> I can almost answer that in one, one word. You know, the biggest challenge is staffing, you know, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a great um, career to get into because of, you know, the the great de- great need and demand for cybersecurity professionals. It's a terrible career to be in as a hiring manager. Um, you know, finding good people is is difficult. You know, so um, you know, th- you know, and again, you know, some of the things that I already said. You know, you know, learn as much as you can, um, get as technical as you can. But everything isn't you know isn't a technical answer. So I think that's an important thing to, you know, as I say, learn things I don't, and I say become technical. I don't want everybody to just immerse themselves into the technology and understand the technology as it is in itself. I mean, we're, we're, we're actually in a world of, of managing risk. And so we have to, to look to say, you know, where do we need to be the most technical? Where can administrative controls take place and policy in that? Um, where do we spend the right amount of money on the things that are the most important to us to protect? So, um, you know, the, the challenge has come to, to change the culture in an organization so that they can accept what is reasonable. Um, I, we find that sometimes if we try to be just too heavy handed and, and want to lock things down so that people can't do the work, then you know then we're counterproductive to to what we need to do so it's it's not all about finding the most stringent technical answer but it's finding the appropriate answer for the risk that's at hand so you just mentioned there's you know staffing is the the biggest challenge in the cybersecurity field so i'm not sure if you hire people directly as a ciso but if you were to hire somebody what would you look for in candidates would you look for you know technical skills and soft skills or is it a combination of uh, both 
It, it is a combination. It's kind of interesting because, you know, we've had sort of this debate, not only, you know, within IT and within my staff, but among other cybersecurity professionals, you know, which, um, which is more important, the soft skills or the technical skills and what, you know, if you have somebody with technical skills, is it, you know, is it easier to teach them the soft skills or somebody with soft skills to teach them the technical skills? And it might be counterintuitive, but it seems like, you know, the the common thought is it might be easier to train to teach the technical skills than it is the soft skills i i i think that um, people need to have sort of a, a well-balanced look you need a foundational understanding of security and what it is understand what the cia means and i'll tell you what confidentiality integrity and and availability those are words that come up in our our daily vernacular i mean we're we're always looking at at you know that um, threats and vulnerabilities you know understanding what is a threat you know as i said it you know the threat is not just you know the threat actor it's not just the the means of delivery but what's the what's the underlying threat what does a threat mean and how does that differ from vulnerabilities you know and, and being able to articulate that well and how how we can do that and then risks you know and some you know sometimes we we hear about um, you know the threats or the the threats time vulnerability is the risk, but I think we our risk formula really goes more back to you know risk is is the probability times the impact. I mean you end up with a quantitative result of that as much as you can, but you know so we are always looking at you know what is you know the possible impact of a system if it were breached. And then, you know, what do we do to mitigate the threats on, or you know, or on that particular system, um, so that we can lower the probability, you know, and and you do that for each system because they're all different, um, and but understanding sort of that risk framework, uh, and then then what what are frameworks for controls, and I, and we find that a lot of people that we interview aren't familiar with those, you know, whether that be, you know, the the uh, CISA framework, you know, that was developed from SANS or, or NIST, which we use, ISO, um, COBIT. I mean, understanding, you know, what are control frameworks and, and, and they all fall within families of controls and, and, and an understanding of that, um, I think gives, gives a good concept to say, hey, these are the things that people need to do, you know, and, and, um, and then, and then, um, you know, what are compliance programs and how do those fit into it? You know, because we, we ask we ask applicants, you know, are you familiar with any compliance programs? Because, you know, we deal with compliance programs, you know, uh, I'm going to say a half a dozen or more different ones. You know, and have have you looked at those? Have you read them? It doesn't take long to, to sort of scan through some, some, you know, online, you know, Code of Federal Regulations to see what HIPAA is all about or or FERPA or, or uh, Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act and, and the, the fair um, um, safe rules that, are, that apply to financial aid for us, us for example, or for banks. Um, so, you know, just get, you know, and I'm not, ex, you know, I'm not looking for people to have expertise in all these things, but have some sort of an understanding of what is going to be expected in, in in the position and, and what are they facing? Thank you for that. Um, 
What are some of the biggest cybersecurity mistakes that you see uh, either students, uh, faculty, or even staff uh, making? I, I'd say phishing. I mean, I think this is this is sort of a, a, a I want to say it comes across so often that we, I mean, we have a, a, an email address that we call our fish box and people can send phishing messages to that. You know, and and you know, a lot of them are, are replicative reports, but we we get so many, so many um, reports of phishing, and and you know, most people don't fall for them, but it's easy to, and and there and some do, you know, and and it, you know, they're trusting who the source is. Maybe it's because their email doesn't show them the complete address of where it came from, but really just the name. So spoofed names come off off a lot. There's compromised accounts that are out there that that are being used and they say hey you know we see this is your username and password well it's some it's you know on some pastebin account that it's out there and and available for the attacker and and the general public doesn't know that that password which they don't use unless they've reused it um you know but they recognize it as being one that they did so therefore they feel like you know they're you know something has happened and somebody has has more information on them than they need and they can fall for exploits. Um, you know, the, we see this in, in hitting us all the time. And it, and I see this across other universities and other, other industries that I talk to them, but you know, the scams that come out, um, you know, and, and again, you know, information security is not everything. It isn't about everything that's scam, but, but scams happen and scams happen through, um, through email a lot oftentimes and you know you know we we need something fast can you go get gift cards and and you know send us the codes or or you know the your amazon account has been charged something that it shouldn't here check here you know and and people tend to want to sign in there rather than just going to amazon.com where they normally would sign in and say is there any activity on my account that's different you know so go to the trusted source you know, don't don't rely on the links that are in the email messages, and 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 certainly be suspicious of anything that doesn't seem right. Thank you for that. I'm sure it'd be helpful for most listeners out there, especially students um, who are listening and on this podcast. Is that be use use um, your judgment on if something is too far fetched, it's probably too good to be true. Um, so um, another thing that we have for you today is. Um, we have uh, pulled from the head, pulled from the headlines is an article on uh, student loans. So um, the article titled "Student Loan Service Getting Hacked in Oklahoma," and um, one of the quotes that we have from the article is that the Oklahoma Student Loan Authority discovered that its loan servicing system and customer website portal provider, Nelnet Servicing LLC, had an experience a data breach in which. The sensitive personal identifiable information in its system may have been accused. And the next um, quote from the article is that the personal identifiable information includes name, security number, address, and contact information that may all be exposed and compromised. So my question for you regarding this article is what are the measures taken to make sure that situations like these data breach are mitigated? in in this uh, sense is 
at the university uh, main system to keep the student's information secure. Yeah, this is this is a very good example article, um, be, you know, and, and especially for people interested in, in the cyber security field, because we think about so many ways that we can implement controls and 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 watch what we do internally in our organizations. Um, but the world is becoming more uh, based on, you know, cloud service providers providing different kinds of service. Um, you know, whether it's software as a service or even platform and infrastructure as a service. But, you know, in, in this sort of instance, you know, they, they you know, you know, relied on and, and, and needed to rely on services that are offered externally to the university. Um, and we do that as well. And, and so, you know, the, the big um, thing that we need to do is, you know, have a good, strong vendor management program. You know, and so we do that um, by working with our procurement office. So anything that goes through procurement, and it could be, you know, a large purchase or, you know, some sort of a, a major system like Oklahoma had, where they're dealing with large amounts of, of high-risk data to anything that might be a classroom technology that's going to be used in a, you know, single course. You know, different scales, you know, if it's, if it's something large scale, you know, we we go out with a, a request for proposal for you know competitive bid and 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 that and with that we put our security requirements right in there. We we ask for for um, you know their self assessment and, and third party vetting of, of things and you know that and all those depend on you know sort of the the data classification. How how sensitive is the data for this kind of data? This would take you know us to to say, we, we need to see more than what you're doing. And we, we use a, a higher education questionnaire that, that gives a self-assessment of, of, you know, it depends on the version, but 100 to, to 300 questions that they, they assess their program on. But then, you know, when we get into this type of data, we'll also look for a third-party assessment, like a SOC 2 report or something that we can look at from them. Um, you know, on smaller purchases, um, don't go through an RFP, but our procurement office still um, flags them for our review. Um, and, and you know, we look at, at what they do and, and what they, um, the protections that they have and what they'll agree to, to protect and how they'll deal with that. So, you know, it comes to, you know, classifying your data and understanding what's going to be used, but then, you know, a vendor management program that assesses what's commensurate with the risk that's out there. And, and that being said, you know, I don't know what Oklahoma had in place beforehand. Um, you know, it, no matter what you do, it doesn't mean somebody can't be breached. It doesn't mean that, you know, their vendor didn't have generally good protocols, but something happened. Uh, you know, I think, you know, the importance is to, to, you know, start out by putting them on notice, making sure that they can, you know, uh, put the best security that they can against it and then assess it to the, the level that, you, that you're able to. Um, and some of these, some of these, you know, will we'll go with annual um, reports, you know, keep sending us your SOC 2 reports and, and, you know, sometimes we have to ask for them, but we will review certain vendors annually to see, you know, how are their third party assessments. So you've talked about, you know, at an organizational level, what the organization can do to ensure that the partners that it's working with, you know, meet a certain level of cybersecurity standard. 
I guess for anybody who's listening, who's maybe a student who, who maybe had their loans or currently has their loans serviced through Nelnet, uh, what would you recommend to keep um, you know, an individual person's information secure aside from maybe what we've talked about already with strong and complex passwords? Yeah, and, and, and those are kind of different things. I mean, because the strong and complex passwords help you from you know somebody getting into your account or, or data that you protect. You know, when somebody else is protecting your data and it's, you know, it's it's the university and it's third parties, but it's also your banks and, and anyone else that, that you're dealing with, um, you don't have that sort of direct control. So, you know, I think the best piece of advice for people, and it, it's, it's one I go by and it may not be for everyone, but is to, to freeze the, the credit bureau reports. You know, so each of the three credit bureaus, Experian, Equifax, and, and TransUnion, offer an ability to, to freeze your credit. I've done it. It's not that hard. You know, it's it's a little bit, you know, when you go to get a new loan, you have to unfreeze it, but you can, you know, unfreeze it for a day or whatever it might take. You can unfreeze only the, the credit bureau that they use. Um, but it, it means that nobody else is going to be able to use, take loans out, you know, against your name and, and and more information about that is on the Maine Attorney General website. Um, so they, they have a, a, a good site that directs people on how to do that. Thank you for your insight on that. And we want to um, discuss another article with you, but this one is about ransomware that Axios published called The Rise of Ransomware. And according to this article, it, the author states that the tools and plans companies invest in to prevent ransomware don't appear to be working. So from what you're seeing as a CISO and in the you know, cyber landscape as a general, would you consider it that to be accurate from your perspective? Ransomware is certainly, uh, you know, um, a big topic these days. Um, and and it, it takes two forms. I mean, I think that when we look at ransomware, we have to look at, you know, first of all, there is an attack that is coming in on a system that gets in. So, you know, it's like any other sort of, you know, breach or, or, or uh, malware kind of attack where, you know, um, you need to have a defense in depth strategy to, to take care of that. I mean, it, 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 in some sense, it's no different than another kind of attack. You know, the, the big difference that, you know, comes up with ransomware is they, they hold you ransom for, for your data that's encrypted. I mean, and, you know, the, the simplest answer there, and it's not easy, but if you're really looking at just the, the encryption that they do, you know, have good backups and make sure that you can restore all those backups, you know, and, and then it wouldn't be a worry. But the problem is, is, you know, it's not just, you know, the, the idea that they've gotten in and they have, you know, want you to pay for the uh, decryption key. But that, you know, there is that sort of secondary possibility that they've exfiltrated your data and, you know, they, they, they hold that at ransom, you know, and, and again, the ransom part of it, you know, and, and I'll say we don't pay ransoms. I, we wouldn't recommend people pay ransoms um, because if you're trying to pay the ransom for the data that's already been stolen, well, it's already been stolen, you know, so, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that, you know, in, in some sense, you know, small ransomware attacks that are going that, that happened initially when it was about the key. You know, they they tended to provide 
the decryption key because that kept the business model working for it. You know, if it, you know, if the first early ransomware attacks never, never were able to let people, you know, decrypt their, their um, data, then nobody would have ever continued to pay it, you know? So, so there's sort of this trust of the criminal that they'll come through because they need to do that in order for their business model to survive. Um, but, um, you know, if, if you've got it backed up and we do, we do pretty good with backing up or replicating our systems, then, you know, you really don't need to, to pay for that reason. If you're, if you're paying a ransom, um, because your data has been exfiltrated, well, then you're paying the criminal, you know, it, it's not like a ransom for a person where you pay the rent, the, 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 the criminal to, to release the person and now the person is safe. You know, they, you're, you're, you're paying them so that they don't release the data that they still have later to release. So, you know, again, it's, it's a bad idea to, to pay that, you know, at some point, it, if the data has been exfiltrated, it's been breached. Um, so, you know, getting back to, you know, the underlying question then, you know, ransomware is really some sort of a malware planted, um, you know, or an exfiltration effort, then, you know, are our tools to, to, um, you know, subvert those kind of efforts good enough, um, is, is philosophical in a way. I mean, we do the best we can. We think we, we are protecting what we have based on, you know, our, our, um, you know, protection means, you know, and, and, you know, in detection, you know, rapid detection, so we can stop, you know, any further activity when something comes in. Um, but I think it's, like I said earlier, you know, the attackers have become more sophisticated. So, you know, are we prepared for what attackers will be able to do, you know, next year or the year after, not today, you know, but we have to grow to get there. So I think, I think we're, we're certainly um, at a stage where we're doing, you know, all that we can do. But, you know, the question is saying is, can anybody secure data? Then I think that's, that again, it's philosophical and, and you just have to, to, to not let that get you down, but do what you do can, for due diligence to do the best you can with, with what you have and, and grow it for the, the more sophistication. So. I know that you mentioned um, not paying the ransom, but some organizations actually have, um, the article continues that some organizations have cryptocurrency payment brokers on retainer in order to you know, pay these ransoms when they fall victim to um, ransomware attacks. And others are pursuing uh, ransomware insurance or even increasing the amount of insurance that they have. So has the... University of Maine system pursued any of these um, approaches to the ransomware problem? Yeah, it's, it's, um, there's, there's, first of all, if, if you're going to pay a ransom, and of course, you know, I, I, I advise against that, but I also understand. And I think at, at one point I was asked years ago to, to comment on, on, um, I think it was a police department that had to pay a ransom and you know and you know it's not for us to judge other people that need to pay ransoms you know if you 
if you're in a position where the data has more value than the ransom cost, because there's, you know, you know, for instance, on the police, de police department that didn't have the backups, you know, well, that's a, that's a, that's a judgment you're making then against what does it cost and what's the probability that the ransom payment is going to work versus, you know, what is the loss of not having that, you know, criminal activity history that, you know, the municipality could, could maintain. And, and that's not a decision that, that, that can be taken lightly. And it's not one that I could, could, you know, recommend nobody, nobody make, um, you know, so, so if you're going to pay a ransom, you should go through somebody that is, you know, cryptocurrency ready. And, you know, and, and whether you have that person on your group on retainer or whether you go find them, you know, that's certainly something you can do at the time when you need to, to pay it. Um, having it a retainer, you know, it certainly expedites the process and, and, and doesn't, you know, um, doesn't make it as, as frantic in that sense. Um, you know, then the next question that you had was on, on, you know, you know, ransomware insurance and, you know, our experience and we have had, we, we've you know, flip-flop between being self-insured for, for this using, you know, with the idea that we could use university reserves or, or going out with, with, um, cybersecurity, um, insurance uh, providers. And, and we've done both and, and, um, you know, there's some advantages of having that provider. Um, for one thing, they'll, they'll readily bring the crypto brokers to the, to the game. Um, but the, but ransomware insurance is very, very expensive. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, retainers that are, you know, between a hundred thousand and a half million dollars. I mean, that's your deductible, you know, so it, it, it works well for, you know, those catastrophic issues, but it doesn't, it doesn't pay well for, for smaller breaches of, of that sort. Um, and, and, you, you know, um, in the in the cost, I mean, it, it it gets it gets very expensive. So, you know, it's it um it's harder to insure uh, in some institutions than it is in other because like an inst like a university is so broad and you know to you know we're, whereas some systems are sort of single focused and and have core systems that they that they focus on securing. So, um. Not an easy answer. I don't know if I've given you a, a, a good response, but you know, you, you have to sort of weigh everything that you have available to you to determine whether or not it's the, the right avenue to go down. Yeah, I mean, that's a really great answer. And, you know, it, like you said before, there's really no easy answer when it comes to ransomware because it is such a damaging thing for organizations and for individuals that have their data stored with um, these organizations. So ransomware effects or ransomware targets the organizations that, you know, from small businesses to you know, huge organizations. So do you have any recommendations or advice for, you know, an organization of any size to protect against ransomware attacks? I don't want to make this sound too simplistic, 
but I would look, like I said earlier, about, you know, what is the, the difference that ransomware makes? And what are you trying to protect against? Are you trying to protect against your data being um, encrypted and, and being able to get that decryption key? Or are you trying to protect against your data being exfiltrated? So, you know, if you're trying to protect against your, your data being exfiltrated, you're using the same measures you're going to use to protect against any kind of breach. Um, if you're looking to protect against, you know, that expo exploitation um, of, of what would happen if it's encrypted, then again, you have to look to say, well, what can you, how can you recover if you, you didn't decrypt it? You know, and again, so many, so many opportunities can come about just by, by restoring a backup. Thank you for that. Um, and lastly here, uh, what is the biggest concern uh, for anyone dealing with ransomware uh, attacks or maybe how to avoid them, uh, whether this is the University of Maine system or just the general public? Um, again, I, I may sound like a broken record here, but I would sort of shift the focus against ransomware. I mean, it seems scary because somebody's ransoming something, but really they don't ransom it unless they can get to it or unless they can steal it, you know? So, so, you know, focus on what you can do to keep organizations from exfiltrating your data, you know, is the biggest part. Getting to the data is, is important too. I mean, you know, if I were to look at the, you know, the biggest concern, it's exfiltration of the data, you know, for us, because getting to the data to, to, to do um, some kind of a, uh, an encryption, you know, can be, can be recovered from with, with a backup, you know, doesn't make it, you know, we don't like when people enter systems, you know, I'm not trying to say that, but I'm just saying, you know, we, we really don't want um, the data stolen or lost. Yeah, most certainly. You know, I, and and I mean, I, I, the other side of this, I, and and this is, I don't mean to 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 reverse this, but you know, when we ask people, you know, what you know, if if your data was exfiltrated, would you feel better if we paid the ransom? You know, so you know, you, you, it doesn't mean we get the data back. <laughs> it just means that they did. You know, they're not going to. They're going to vow to not or a criminal organization is going to vow to not do anything further with it well that was all the questions we had for you today um mr forker so um thank you again for joining us today all right thank you for, for letting me participate